Welcome to another deep dive episode of the Compass Christian Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. This is where we will dig deeper into the content from Sunday's sermon, consider even more ways of thinking about the Bible and how to live it, and encourage one another to follow Jesus more closely together. I'm your host, Will Barlow. Let's dive in. Welcome back to another episode of the Compass Christian Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. This will be another deep dive, and I have the pleasure today of interviewing the person who spoke last week, who preached last week, one of our elders, Jerry Weller. So if you stick around after the interview, I'll have a couple minutes of extra thoughts. Uh, but without any further ado, we'll get to the interview. Well, hi, everyone. This is Will Barlow, and I have the pleasure today of interviewing one of our elders here at Compass, Jerry Weller. Jerry, thanks so much for spending the time with me today and sitting down uh, and talking about your sermon from last Sunday. And thanks, of course, for preaching again last Sunday. You've had a couple opportunities to preach, and uh, we've enjoyed it every time. Uh, let's let's start with uh, the big question, the big question that everyone wants to know. People in our community know you real well. Uh, you're an elder, you're around all the time, but people outside of our local community may not know who Jerry Weller is. So would you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Uh, yeah, I, uh, I live in Southern Indiana and uh, I have uh, a wife and two children. My children are grown now. My son turns 21 tomorrow. So today's his last day to be a minor. And uh, <laughs> uh, uh, my daughter, Erica, she is 19 and uh so that's my family. That's where we live. And I work as a, uh, a pipe fitter uh, in Louisville, Kentucky. And uh, as for um, how I came to Christianity, I was raised in a, in a Christian home and uh, I had a rough start with all of that. Um, uh, I, I uh, had an altar call when I was really young. I don't know how old it was, um, seven, eight, eight, something like that. And then uh uh, tried to have conversations, a lot of conversations with God. Didn't uh, it was always one-sided? I think because <laughs> uh, uh, I was usually asking for stuff that wasn't available because I didn't really know or understand uh, mm. what that was all about. And then uh, I joined the Navy and uh, left home at 18, turned 19 in boot camp, and uh, kind of lived a little wild there for a while because uh, it didn't seem like I was able to find God in all of my prayers and whatnot. And of course, you know that uh, a lifestyle like that doesn't lead you to God. Uh, it leads you down a road that you don't need to go down. And uh, one day I was driving uh, down the road and things were really hard for me and I was not enjoying my life. And I rolled down the window and I yelled uh, as loud as I could, why do these things happen to me? Why is my life so crappy? And I was yelling at God. <laughs> <laughs> and uh then not long after that i uh went out to sea and there was a guy there uh was talking to some other guy about the bible and uh i really didn't want to hear it and uh, i figured i'd ask him a couple of hard bible questions and make him mad and they'd go away and i could <laughs> just go back to being at peace yep. and uh they answered uh 
with some answers uh, that really made sense for the first time. So uh, I listened to them for a little bit while I was out to see them, captive audience. You know, you're stuck in right. a submarine, which is like a pipe, you know, <laughs> under the sea, and there's no place to go. That's right. Uh, uh, and the guys, I didn't like them at first. I didn't, I didn't even like these guys. But the thing was, is what they said from the Bible made so much sense that uh, I thought, man, I, I can't help but hear the word, you know, hear the message, mm -hmm. even though I wasn't a fan of the messenger at the time. Then uh, I came back in and they said, hey, you want to check out this uh, Bible study group? And I was like, I don't know. Maybe, I guess. And uh, they said, well, if you come there, there's there's a pretty girl your age there. Oh, yeah, I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I started my Christian uh, walk, I guess, and starting to learn some things. And uh, over time, I went to a Bible college with that pretty girl that I had married several years earlier. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, she and I were ministers for uh, probably close to 20 years. And um, always interested in the word and did a lot of reading and studying and outside mm -hmm. of my group that I was a part of and reading uh, other like books. I had to sit down with a dictionary to, cause I, I not uh, a highly educated guy, but I really love God and his word. And it was worth it to sit down and try and read some of these other guys. And just the more I understood, the more I tried to teach and help people understand how to get to God. And mm -hmm. uh, I, I still try to do that uh, the best I can uh, guys I work with, uh, uh, guys and gals I work with, and whomever will listen to me for five seconds in a row, I'm going to try and see if I can help their lives be better with the Bible. Yeah, there you go. I love it. And I was trying to think back to exactly when we met. I think it would have been about 10 years ago because uh, you were at a church location where I was at seminary. And mm -hmm. I think we had like small interactions at that, right. in that phase. <laughs> yeah. I was pretty yeah, busy. Yeah. You were pretty busy. You know, uh, you had smaller kids back then and plus a full-time yes. job and, and all that. And I was in seminary, which is a notoriously busy time in life. Um, but then after we moved here to Louisville, uh, y'all were not far behind. I feel like it was a year or maybe or so after we moved here that y'all were here. And, um, Got to know y'all through that context a lot better. And then um, after after we both left the former church situation, then there were some years of figuring out what to do. And at times we would do Bible studies at my house. We do Bible studies at your house. We do Bible studies at other place, people's places in the local area that we were both connected to. And so that that happened until COVID at least. And then yeah, and then we started building up for Compass, which was cool. And so when when we reached out to y'all uh, about Compass, I, I still remember the conversation we had in, in my in-laws driveway um, and uh, how cool it was that uh, y'all were so interested and engaged and here you are now an elder at Compass. And we're, like I said, thrilled to have you and Rob serving with us. So thank you. Yes, sir. So let's, let's transition a little bit, talk about the sermon from this past Sunday uh, early in your sermon you know, we've, we've been talking about all these connections with Exodus throughout this whole, this whole series, you know, things happen in Exodus and it happens, you know, similar things happen later in the Old Testament. People point back to the Exodus and then the New Testament, you've got all these different echoes. And on Sunday, 
you had a really interesting echo, which I didn't even think of until the moment you mentioned it. And that was, <laughs> uh, you referenced a teaching that you did actually back in Ephesians. Um, you were talking about the Israelites and how, you know, they, God was basically calling them out of slavery and telling them not to be like slaves anymore. And, and there's a lot to that and a lot of richness to that. And you were, it was reminding you of what Paul said about the Gentiles in Ephesians 4, stop acting like Gentiles. Um, so I thought, uh, I thought that was such a cool connection, such a great example of how we can connect the story of Exodus to other parts of the Bible. But I'd love to hear more about that. You sort of just like made a very passing mention of that. Uh, tell us more about that and, you know, more generally about how powerful the Exodus story is and helping us realize God's love and the motivation for the change that takes place. And for them, the change that took place was a change from slavery. Our, our change is change in Christ. It's changing from slavery and bondage to the, to the powers to freedom in Christ. So I'd love to hear more thoughts that you have on that. Yeah, thanks. It was uh, as I was preparing and I thought about that, I thought, you know, um, uh, like the title of the teaching that I just did uh, on Sunday, uh, called and commissioned. And um, God calls us and um, uh, and he calls us from wherever we're at. Mm -hmm. uh, he called the children of Israel when they were in bondage and slavery uh, and uh, led them out and he loved them and he delivered them and he saved them uh, before there was a law. Mm -hmm. And uh, um, he said, he didn't even mention that was your old lifestyle. He just said, Hey, this is what's available. And I've got this covenant for you. Mm -hmm. And the people are like, we're in, you know, they're ready to change from whatever it was, generational slavery to something else. And uh, it's the same for uh, Christians today. W whatever your Egypt was, God doesn't talk about that. He's like, let's go here. I called you. and I know where you're at. I, I know your mistakes. I, I know what you were in. I don't want to talk about that anymore. I want to talk about what is available for you now. Mm. And uh, part of that, there's a transition in lifestyle. Um, they weren't going to be slaves anymore. They were going to be God's chosen people and a light unto the Gentiles. And they're going to be a nation that was able to attract people to God back to him. Uh, he did choose Israel, but the whole world is his. All the people right. in the world belong to God. So uh, for him to have a relationship with them, he'd love that. Uh, but they're going to have to uh, maybe change some things. Same thing for us uh, with Christianity. Wherever we were, whatever we came out of or whatever it is, um, when Paul told those Gentiles, don't act like that anymore, you know, there's a whole new thing for you. Mm. And that points them back to the Exodus. The children of Israel made an Exodus out of bondage and uh, slavery, and we make an Exodus out of the bondage of sin, mm -hmm. which the consequence is death. So God calls us, we answer, and he says, hey, there's a better way to live. And if you live that way, you're going to be a light for me. Mm -hmm. And uh, the thing about the, um, the Old Testament laws, I don't know if we're getting off topic or what, but the Old Testament laws are about love, you mm -hmm. know, love God. You know, but Jesus Christ kind of boiled it down, but he didn't make it small, meaning like, oh, just do this, you know, and forget about the rest. But really, if you're loving God with all that you are, which he well, is one of the first commandments, 
Yep. And then if you're loving your neighbor as yourself, and Ephesians also says that no man ever hated his own flesh, but nourish it and cherisheth it. If you treat other people um, with love, then you're fulfilling the law. Right. And Jesus Christ didn't come to abolish the law or end the law, but to complete or fulfill it. Mm-hmm. So he's like the next logical step in the law. So when we accept Christ and what he did, we have access to all those things. And it's better for us to learn how to live God's way mm-hmm. and to love people and come out of whatever we was before. Like those things that are covered in uh, Ephesians that Paul lays out for him. Stop doing that. Do this. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, uh, uh, so there's a, I can see a direct correlation. Perhaps those people, that's all they knew is to be a slave and work for a man, God, King, something, something, the Pharaoh. Uh, that's all they know. But now there's something new. So God called them and then he commissioned them to live, uh, a new way. And mm-hmm. that new way was to be attractive to the world. Just like Christians, when you live a new way, it's attractive and attracts people to Christ, which points them to God. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's all fantastic. And what I'm hearing is, you know, I'm hearing, um, you know, that there's this deep, there's this deep love and grace that ext- is extended to Israel through the law, through the commissioning that they're given, the calling that they're given. Um, we'll talk about that a little bit, a little bit more detail later. Um because I think that that is something that was new for me in the last 10 years or so, understanding even the giving of the law as a, as a gracious, loving act. Um, but there's also, you've got this calling and, and commissioning, as you called it on Sunday, where, you know, God knows where they are. He knows they're in slavery. He's called them out of it. This grace is extended before there's a law, before there's a covenant, you know, before there's an agreement. All, all this stuff is laid out. They're, they're delivered. They're rescued before any of that takes place. And he's providing for them food and water and time to change, as we talked about a couple weeks ago. And so, but then there's also the other, the, the flip side of that coin, which I think is so powerful too, is that there's a, there's an expectation there as well, that when you've received that grace and that love, that there's, that that's going to transform you, that there's like a, um, and I think that's true for, for just like our normal relationships too, right? Like if you, if you go from a situation where, you know, maybe your family isn't the most loving and then you end up in a church community where people do love you unconditionally. And like, that's the first time you experience love that's unconditional is in a church like, like that. Um, then I think that love changes you. I think that love shows you what like human flourishing should look like and what God really wants for humanity. And so I think, like I said, there's this whole like nation on a hill, like light on a hill. Uh, light to the Gentiles aspect to it. That's like, if they can just be faithful, you know, it's like God's rooting them on. If you can just be faithful, then all these wonderful things are are, going to happen. Not just for you. I mean, that's, there's a benefit to you for sure, but there's also a benefit for your neighbor when you're, when you're honest, when you're hardworking and when you're not coveting all the stuff that your neighbor has, you know, that's good for your neighbor as well. Um, There's a lot of wisdom in what, than the provisions that God, that God had for them. And then, like you said, how Christ boiled it down uh, for us uh, into the two primary commandments. Um, so I think that's all wonderful stuff, Jerry. Yeah, for sure. That means that the, uh, the salvation 
and the extension of God is before we know what to do. Correct. Yes. <laughs> yep. Israel was saved before there was a law. Yep. And just like we are saved before we start doing good works. Right. Our good works don't provide salvation. God does right. by way of Jesus Christ. Just like in the Old Testament, God provided salvation for them. Then he gave them a mission. Yep. Yep. It's awesome stuff. Another interesting point that you made, you know, we're talking about transformation. We're talking about meeting people where they are. Um, you know, you mentioned quite a bit on Sunday about where the people of Israel were at this point. And, you you know, you're talking about hundreds of years of, of generational slavery, talking about extreme trauma. And you sort of listed a couple of things for us on Sunday. Um, you also said how important it was for Israel to have someone outside of that system to lead them because they couldn't say no. They were just like, like you said, you know, we want you to go move this pile of rocks from here to here. Uh, you can't say no. You're just going to get beaten until you do it, you know. And so um, I was thinking about this, you know, in light of our life, our lives today. And again, this was something that you talked about, uh, you know, relating to the Israelites mostly on Sunday. But I think it has a really strong application for us. Would you like to share a little bit more about um, you know, that idea of saying no and putting up healthy boundaries and how this applies to us. You're not saying no to God. <laughs> We're talking about saying no to, you know, potential abusive situations and things like that. Thinking about the challenges that Israel faced, uh, it's it's unimaginable, you know, uh, yeah. what it would be to live in a scenario like that. And uh, my heart goes out to them and uh, and the challenges that they faced and uh, how they dealt with it in their mind because they weren't used to having a champion for, on their side. And right. um, they, it was all about self-preservation and families sticking together and uh, 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 that nation, you know, they knew that they were in an arduous situation. They worked to help and protect one another, but uh, really uh, for them to be able to get out of that situation and God to work so magnificently, I think that uh, uh for Moses, uh, being that guy, I mean, he had to have great uh, intellectual ability. And uh, um, so they take this person, you know, rescued out of a bassinet in the Nile. And uh, God must have worked in Pharaoh's daughter to move her with compassion to take on this child. Then, you know, he's raised in Pharaoh's courts and and he's got the best education and money can buy. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, he's taught how to be a leader, how to run a nation. Uh, he's raised as Pharaoh's son. So I would imagine that would have came with, you know, uh, yes, he would have understood the Egyptian gods and all that jazz, too. But he would have also been really good at math and science and whatever the leading uh, uh, educational things were available at that time. And uh then he rose up at one point to, you know, he had compassion for his fellow Israelites and uh, it didn't work out. And then he had the book, you know, right. <laughs> so yep, that, exactly. Yeah. And uh, so he's out of that. And, and then he finds himself uh, on the mountain and God calls him uh, 40 years later. That's amazing. Uh, but because of his background and how he thinks, and he wasn't, uh, um, I'm not saying victim mentality, but, 
he wasn't raised in a situation under duress all the time, fearing right. for his life. He could be free and he could laugh and he could have free time and, and do whatever the things that, you know, people uh, in Pharaoh's court could do. And um, he could say no to things and he could uh, object to doing one thing or another where those people could not. Hmm. And, uh, uh, and when you think about, um, as you mentioned before, uh, people that are perhaps in a duress situation today, whether it's a, it's a bad marriage or an abusive family scenario or, you know, all the other horrific things that the adversary levels against people to put them in bondage and fear. Uh, God so lovingly made a way for them to escape through Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. uh, who was a lamb of the flock, but he was different. Uh, it's interesting. I don't, I don't understand what kind of DNA genetic makeup he would have had uh, to be so strong and so loving and, to take on the role of a servant. And uh, when he bore all of our sins and everything else on the cross, you know, bleeding internally for our internal secret sins, the bruising and the external, it can forgive all those things. Mm-hmm. And for someone who loved us before they even knew us, for him to endure all that he did to take our place it's very appealing to look towards that, mm. what he did for us and he did for us and accomplished on the cross. Uh, it does make a way for us to escape as well. And, you know, we can look to him for leadership and guidance and deliverance. And by having access to him, we all have access to God, who is the ultimate savior of mankind and having access to his love. That's unconditional. So, uh, yeah, for those folks that are in those challenging situations, they can find some comfort in that. But then also within the household, there's others of us that may have come from challenging situations and can have empathy because they've lived where those people are living Hmm. and they don't have to stay there. We can help them climb up out of that and give them words of encouragement and things that helped us in our lives from scripture and practical things that can help them come out of that bondage that they're in to live their best life for God. Mm. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. And I think community plays such a huge role in that. And a lot of these things are so isolating. I mean, the unique thing about the Israelites were there, it was a whole nation like this that was experiencing trauma together. And so they sort of get, you know, they get rescued together and they deal with all of it together in the wilderness. And Moses is leading them through all that together. Um, Sort of like group therapy, I suppose, you know, they're playing this stuff out in in real time. Uh, But, you know, in in our world, like you said, there's so much that's isolating. Um, People can go through these types of traumatic things and feel like they're the only ones who have been through that. Um, or the only ones that feel that kind of shame or, you know, discomfort or not, you know, some people are out there, um, you know, are, are dealing with these situations and no one knows that they're in these abusive relationships or that their, you know, husband or wife treats them a certain way or whatever the case might be. And, you know, my encouragement is, is to get help, is to get help to, to get other people involved. Do not allow yourself to be isolated. 
surround yourself with community, especially strong Christian community. That's really the best way to to handle that. And, you know, it's not, not every, there's no like one size fits all kind of solution. You know, God leads us uh, through Christ in a number of different ways, depending on where our exact situation is and where, where the freedom line is, where we can get that healing. And uh, I also know that, you know, if people are going through that and have experienced that, that that takes time. I know the traumatic things that I've been through in life, it was not an immediate fix. You know, it's not just like a light switch. And maybe some people have been healed that way emotionally. And I, you know, praise God for that. But, yes, you know, my, my, my situation was not like that. My situations that I faced in life that were traumatic were not like that. And so, um, so yeah, get help. Um, you know, it may not get better overnight, but it does get better over time. Um, as long as, you know, you're seeking God and you're doing so in a community of people who love you unconditionally and support you unconditionally through those types of, of journeys and don't get isolated. I think those are some really big keys. Um, on a, on a happier note, I want to transition to trumpets, <laughs> trumpets in the Bible. You mentioned on Sunday, and I'm, I'm a former teacher, as many people know, I'm a former teacher. I'm a big believer in homework. You gave us some homework on Sunday <laughs> about looking up trumpets in the Bible and I look, I don't want to steal people's thunder in doing the study. Um, and I agree that they should do the homework. Like I said, I'm a big believer in homework. But can we help them out a little bit? Can you give them maybe one or two of your favorite examples of trumpets? Well, I think uh, I'll just give you the one. One of my favorite one is, uh, uh, let me probably guess, it's in Thessalonians. Yeah. And uh, it's talking about the gathering together. Yeah. And when that happens and if there's the trump of God. Yep. And um that's gonna change everything forever, you know. For sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh that's gonna be another pivotal moment in history where everything is completely different forever. After that, it's gonna initiate certain things that uh is going to help towards paradise restored. Yep. And uh so um looking forward to that, whether someone's already asleep. In uh, in Christ, or if they're alive at the time of the gathering together, there will be no more death for those folks, mm-hmm. and um, that'll be the first day of their eternal life. Actually, your first day of your eternal life is when you get born again. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but you might have to take a dirt nap in between until right. uh, until right. the gathering together. But then, you know, then you're going to be uh, in a whole new scenario and a whole new level of service and man, it's going to be super exciting. But that is one of those excellent uh, situations where there's going to be, uh, we're going to hear a trumpet. That's right. You know? That's right. And uh, it's going to be a good thing. Uh, uh, when I was in the Navy, they trained us to respond to the sound of a trumpet. When you would march, you'd hear something, you'd do something. Or if you were stop or come to attention or go to parade rest or at ease or at the beginning of the day, they uh, did Reveille, which is a trumpet. And at the end of the day, they played taps. So trump, 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 trump. So yeah. you're uh, you're just listening to these horns and it respond. It, it, it provokes a response. Uh, the great thing about when we hear that trumpet, we'll all know what to do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And no, there'll it's... be a great response from all of Christendom on that day. Yeah. Now I'm, I'm looking forward to that trumpet. I think that's. That is the pinnacle trumpet in my mind, uh, as you said. I'll, I'll give a quick one here, and I, I'm not going to nerd out as much as I'd like to. But if you look at <laughs> if you look at the Battle of Jericho when they circle mm. 
they circle, they circle, they circle. They don't really do anything for six days. On the seventh day, they circle seven times. And then the first thing they do is they blow the trumpet. And my particular theory, I'm a physics guy, I'm a nerd, but uh, my particular theory is that the that God gave the Levites and the priests, the people playing the trumpets, he gave them a pitch and they all match that pitch. And that the Israelites, naturally, when you hear a sound like that, you would normally match that pitch or a multiplica multiplicative factor of that, a harmonic of it. And so I think mm -hmm. that it, because of sound, the way that sound works, the way the harmonics work, there's a thing called resonant frequency. And anyway, I think that's how the walls of Jericho came down. I think trumpets, you know, God giving the right frequency for, for resonance led to the Jericho walls falling down. I think that's another cool example of where trumpets do something. Now, there might be a supernatural explanation for it that's beyond <laughs> resonant frequencies and harmonics and stuff like that. And I'm, I'm, I'm here for it. If that's the way it went down and, you know, my physics explanation is, is just made up, you know, I'm okay with that. But there, <laughs> trumpets were involved either way, either way. Yes, so, for sure. Uh, anyway, there's all sorts yeah. of cool stuff, like you said. Uh, we'll, we'll stay in the nerdy zone here for a second. Um, one of the things that you didn't, you know, it's, it's always the case when you put together a sermon, we, and we talked about this as a group when we first talked about this Exodus series, that, you know, every person that preached, you're going to have things that you have to just sort of leave on the side and not really talk about, even though it's super cool stuff. And as we were texting uh, about your sermon, one of the things you mentioned was uh, something that Dr. Carmen Imes mentioned in her class about the mm -hmm. law tablets. She said several really cool things about the law tablets. Um, she explained why there were two tablets, and then she also speculated on their actual size, mm. uh, which might surprise people, I think. So would you like to share some of those insights that she taught? Because I thought they were really cool. Yeah, I really enjoyed that, too. That's um, interesting. I guess in the Pentateuch, it doesn't call it the Ten Commandments. It never says that. That's an English thing that we came up with uh, and writers and what have you. Uh, it was called, they call it the Ten Words. Yeah. And um, it's interesting that they say that because obviously the Ten Commandments is longer than ten words, but uh, uh, it ties into something that we say today too. You know, um, uh, what's the word on so and so? Uh, right. And you don't yeah. just give one answer, you know, or one little <laughs> syllabled word or whatever. It's like, you know, there's this whole scenario that you give out on that, uh, or someone, you know, uh, they're uh, they need help uh, with some counseling from the word, and they say, "Can you give me a word?" And you know. And you know what that means. I mean, you know, give me something from God that's going to help me out. So these uh, 10 words, so to speak, or whatever, she held up these small tablets that were like a, basically bigger than my cell phone. Uh, just my, not much bigger because, you know, it could have been written on both sides. And with the Hebrew alphabet, with the Ten Commandments, as many words as there are, they could have easily fit on, you know, these smaller tablets of stone, not necessarily the big monolith that you know uh moses came packing <laughs> down out of the mountain in the movie you know what i mean that's, and, that's right and she yeah. kind of uh, alluded to the uh um somehow we're under the impression that they look like the mcdonald's arch where they got the two curves at the top you know and a lot of art shows them that way but uh anyway that's interesting about that because she said those two smaller tablets um they would have been able to fit in the ark and the ark has uh, some specific dimensions and it's really not, you know, this humongous uh, crate that they packed around. It was smaller, and it, but it was enough to carry those tablets and yeah. uh, pot of manna and a few other different things at different times. But um, uh, 
Yeah. So, and the reason why she brought up something very interesting, and uh, there's uh, other cultural references around that time that they still have records of that when uh, someone made a contract, and the covenant was kind of like a contract between what God would do and what people would do, and uh, all of that. Um, but they didn't definitely didn't see it as a negative thing. She gave the illustration of uh, uh, Sarah in a larger city and a smaller city asks you for some help and uh, they're concerned about their neighbors maybe overcoming them. And uh, you got a big military and they say, would you help us with some national defense? Oh yeah, man, I definitely, I'm into that. And, uh, uh, but uh, for um, me doing that, you know, I'd like this many bushels of grain and this many cows and this right. many whatever. So you yeah. set up a trade agreement. Uh, so they, they're paying you with their goods, the things that they produce, and the thing that you have is defense. And uh, they would write these things on two copies, and then each city would have a copy of this contract. And uh, the way that they would handle those things in their day and time is they would take that tablet or that contract, and they would put it in the house of their God. So they may have had different gods, you know, if they were outside of the nation of Israel, whatever. Right. But by putting it in there, then that deity, if you would, has access to read that. And right. if the other party didn't keep their side, then the consequences that were within that, then they would help bring that to bear on those other peoples. So with Israel having two tablets, and if they were both exactly the same identical, uh, one copy was for God, <laughs> and the other <laughs> copy was for the people. Right. Uh, but God obviously didn't need a copy. He knew what it said, you know. But it was, but it's part of the legal system of that day. They had two copies of it, and both copies were kept in the ark. And then at times they would bring them out, and they would read them, so the people be refamiliarized with what it said on that tablet or that contract. So I thought, wow, that was really cool for her to bring that up. And I never thought about the tablets being smaller. Because uh, you think about how big and how many you know laws are and everything, it wasn't everything on there. It was just the Ten Commandments on there, right. so they didn't necessarily have to be, and they had to be portable. Yeah, you, know, you got some people packing these things around all the time, in addition to a gold coated covenant or ark. You know Box. what I mean? So yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you have to uh, think like Moses is, you know, Moses is a, a, you know, he's a shepherd, and you know, he's he's definitely physically active for his age but he's probably close to 85 at this point right. uh, and you know they had just and you know we sort of skipped over this in our in our series but they just fought the amalekites and he needed two guys to prop up his arms because he couldn't hold up his arms for you know eight hours straight or whatever it was and right. look if you ask me to put my arms above my head for eight hours i'm not gonna be able to do it so I'm not I'm not I'm not being too hard on Moses here, but but my point is is the Charlton Heston in the you know in the movie, the Ten Commandments, you know Charlton Heston's in way better shape than Moses at, at 85 or whatever, right, right, and he's struggling down the mountain with these two huge things in his arms, you know, so it makes a lot more sense to me that it would have been like you said, maybe the size of a small iPad. Uh, you know, that's sort right. of like a reasonable size, you know, bigger than a cell phone, but a you know, smaller tablet, uh, like a Kindle maybe size, you know, sure. that's sort of the size that they think the 10, you know, the, the tablets would have actually been. And that's something that you can imagine would fit in the arc would be easy for Moses to carry down a, a, an active volcano. Cause that's what it was, probably, right. you know, 
at least he might be dodging yeah. lava flows and stuff right who knows you know uh, but yeah I thought, I thought that was super cool too and then the you know obviously the legal aspect of it's super cool and and you know we know that god's gonna abide by his terms you know but uh oh yeah but uh we have to abide by the our side of the agreement you know that's that's our point yeah. Yeah. um one of the closing points that you made and we talked about this a little bit earlier but how the law the law was not seen and i'm using your words for a second the law wasn't seen as a bummer <laughs> it wasn't seen as a bummer uh, or a uh-huh. negative thing, but rather as an expression of God's love and his grace and his provision for his people. Um, I mentioned briefly earlier, but I'll, I'll mention again here that, you know, I still remember the moment when I started realizing that uh, the law was an expression of God's goodness and his love. Um, you know, I, I think this was like 10 years ago or so. I mean, it was, I, I went a lot of my life, you know, with sort of this simplistic, uh, you know, like law, bad, grace, good kind of mm. um, thinking overly simplistic. And I think it, I think it can happen in, in the Christian world. I think we can get into that kind of simplistic rut where it's like the law is bad. Grace is good. Um, mm. But God, you know, God's laws are beautiful and they're necessary for the time that they're in. And obviously we don't think that all of the laws and, you know, we have brothers and sisters that will disagree with us, you know? So in humility, I say this, that, you know, my understanding of time periods in the Bible and, and what the cross means and things like that. There are certain laws that um, I don't feel compelled to live under anymore, like the food laws, for example, or the laws about mixed fabric, for example. You know, there's there's certain things that I don't think as, you know, as much applied to us anymore. But that doesn't mean that those laws weren't beautiful and wonderful and important for the time that they were in. And so my question to you is, you know, how does this help us when we think about the commandments that God specifically gives us in the post-Pentecost church? And again, I'm thinking like the Sermon on the Mount and the other teachings of Jesus. And I'm also thinking about the commandments that Paul relays in the epistles. Uh, like, for example, stop being a Gentile. <laughs> you know, stop acting like a Gentile. <laughs> There's one of those commandments that that he gave uh, the Ephesians. And so how do we think about this? How do we think about this um, understanding of the law? How does How does that, you know, law good help us with our commandments today, especially in the context of a culture that we live in where it's like, we just want to be free to do whatever we want to do, you know? Yeah. I, I think that's interesting that you bring that up or mention that. Cause uh, like what I had uh, alluded to earlier uh, when I was talking about myself and my little bio there, that um, uh, unrestrained free will could lead to sin mm-hmm. uh, just because you are at liberty to do whatever you want doesn't necessarily mean that it's right or right for others or fair to others or kind or loving. So, uh, yeah, in a culture and society, like you said, there, you know, when you be your own man and do your own thing and not live under whatever, um, well, if we don't have rules and laws and it's anarchy mm-hmm. and, uh, a lot of people are going to get hurt by that. But, uh, I, when I think about the law and, uh, um, like you, I came to this realization, I don't know how long ago, maybe I'm a little older than you, so maybe it was a couple of decades for me, where <laughs> uh, for you it was a year, 10 years ago. But um, uh, yeah, that the law was really beautiful and mm. that it did shine as a light. And when those people received it, man, they were all about it. They loved it. And uh, uh, Moses in Deuteronomy, he uh, and, and Dr. Iams, she brings us up in her teaching too, that um, uh, he he was like so 
uh, blessed with these, like, man, look at this wonderful wisdom that our God gave us. Uh, and, uh, and it, and it's going to make us shine as a, as a, as a nation. And when we live these things and we live love, that's very attractive, especially when people that are in slave cultures or in their bad situations or whatever. And you see people that are living love, you want to gravitate towards that, mm. uh, Unfortunately, you know, with Israel, they saw the eventually they came to where they saw the law as an end mm. and and uh, didn't realize that, that, you know, God loved them before all that stuff. And the laws were helped to help them live a life of love and to be an example or a light under the Gentiles to be an attractant to a heavenly father that loved them. And uh, it was a big deal. I mean, other nations could look and say, you know, we have a God. But he never talked to us. He, right. he never told us what was expected. We have to guess. If I have a drought, man, I, I, I've got to, you know, sacrifice a sheep or a goat or a child or some craziness that, you know, we can't even imagine to right. try and appease a God that they don't know. They, they don't know what it's going to take to appease them. Why am I having all this misfortune in my life? It must be the gods are angry with me. They didn't know what it would take to live according to whatever their God wanted them to live by, only mm -hmm. what someone told them. But Israel, their actual God told them, and they saw that as a wonderful thing. And um, it even says that even in the New Testament talks about how marvelous the light of the law was, but grace is so much brighter a light that it outshines that the law was something I guess it could, keep Israel under protective custody until the Messiah could come. Hmm. So it was really a good thing for all of mankind that there was a law to help us get to the point where Jesus could come into the world and fulfill that. Mm -hmm. So uh, today, uh, when we look at what God asks us to do, it may break against our culture, hmm. uh, uh, society. Some cultures, people think it's okay to have a wife and a mistress or two. I mean, other countries are totally cool with that, mm -hmm. uh, just the way they live. But uh, really, from God's perspective, um, uh, there's a different way. There's a better way to live that can help you uh, get closer to him and see more blessings in your life and all of that kind of thing. So sometimes culture breaks up against what the word says, but we have to evaluate that. The things that we're commanded to do, what Jesus laid down, how to treat one another. And, you know, if someone, you know, asks you for your coat, give them, you know, a few other things, you know, whatever it is, think about being a giver and being loving uh, and how that's going to help other people, you know. And uh, so the things that we're asked to do or commanded to um, in the New Testament are not onerous or burdensome either. Right. Uh, it's really something that, and, and God, you know, <laughs> it's so funny is that, you know, God asks us to do stuff and when we do it, it rewards us, whether it's in this life or later, mm. you know, he, he's not unrighteous to forget all those things that he asks us to do. So, uh, uh, when someone comes to Christianity, there may be some things that we have to change, mm. maybe some habits that we have or things or lifestyle or cultural things that, you know, maybe in a culture says, Hey, it's okay to do whatever this or that. But according to what God says, it's not the best for your life. And really, the Old Testament laws help to protect them. You know, whether it's eating shellfish, it's not whatever, or eating certain kind of animals or whatever. You know, yeah. it, it was God told them lovingly to help preserve them so they didn't get a bellyache or sick or die or whatever, you know. And then 
you right. know, things that we have now, maybe we're better at managing those things. And, uh, I don't, I don't know what it is, but the thing is, is that whatever God asks us to do, he does it because he loves us mm-hmm. and there's benefit for us to do it or to stop doing certain things, you know, things maybe you've done your whole life and it's who you are, but he says, um, stop doing that. <laughs> yeah. Dr. Uh, Dr. Imes, uh, I think she shared a really great example because she says, I think anyone with small children knows that like complete liberty to do like whatever you want to do is not a good thing. If you have small kids, you understand this. And she was talking about what if your community decide to build a playground on a busy, you know, near a busy intersection or a busy road, you know, you yeah. think anyone in the community is going to you know, protests, putting up pretty strong walls, you know, a barrier to the street, you know, because if you don't do that, if you just let things go unrestrained, then, you know, you what you end up with, you end up with parents that aren't going to bring their kids to the park, or if they do bring their kids to the park, there's no peace for anybody. The parents aren't going to sit down and enjoy, enjoy that time at the park with their kids. They're just going to be constantly, you know, watching and making sure those kids don't make a dart, make a beeline for the road, you know? And so uh, I thought that was such a great example, but yeah, I mean, I think, you, you know, God, God has always been after our hearts. He was always after their hearts In Deuteronomy. He talks about circumcision of the heart, which was something mm-hmm. that was very difficult for them in that time frame because of what was available. And, you know, not many people had the spirit and, you look in the New Testament and what has come because of Christ and what God gave in terms of the Spirit at Pentecost and then into the in the church age. Um, you know, it's it's unbelievable what we've got. We've got the ability to to have the Spirit indwelling us like the prophets did, like Jesus did, and because of that, now we can obey God and do the things that He wants us to do out of love, and and we don't need as many. I'm going to say, you know, rules, (laughs) you know, we have love God and love your neighbor as yourself as the two big ones. And then, of course, we get all these commandments and things to think about throughout the Bible in the New Testament time. But uh, but I think that, you know, with the spirit, with with the teachings of Jesus, with the commandments that Paul gives us and other other writers in the New Testament by way of the spirit gave us, you know, we we've been set up so much for success. And uh, and to your point, you know, there's so much in our culture that just wants to buck up against some of those things. But a lot of those things are really self-destructive when you look at it. And, you know, people have have written books and have done podcasts and, you know, spent a lot of time on that kind of stuff. But, you know, murder is not good for a society. Adultery is not good for a society. (laughs) You know, you are going to if you had a small community of like 100 people and people start murdering each other you're not going to last long as a community. Either people are going to all die out because, you know, you're all going to get murdered or you're going to leave. You're going to break up the community because it, it just can't survive. And yeah. so, you know, we, we tend to understand those things very easily and then buck up against what God says about sexuality or what God says about finances or what God says about X or Y that seems more controversial or whatever. But in reality, like you said, the whole purpose behind it is God's love and his desire for us to thrive and to to be who he's called us to be, which is a light to the world and to invite people into his love and grace. And so yeah. I think that's, I think it's beautiful stuff. Well, uh, before we close out here, is there anything else that I missed that you wanted to talk about or anything else that you wanted to say? 
No, I mean, always there's always something else, you know what I mean? It's rich and you prepare so much, you know, but you can't say yeah. everything. Uh, I wish I had during the teaching, I had encouraged them to continue to read in uh, 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 Corinthians, where I had referred to that, um, how it was God's desire to uh, write upon the fleshy tables of their hearts mm. and not on the tablets of stone. And um, he brings up at one point where, and when Moses came down and spoke to the te- people, you know, his face radiated the glory of God after being there, but then he had to wear a veil yeah. and um, the people couldn't look upon him. And uh, uh, I heard one teacher say that, you know, perhaps uh, the glory that his face shown would have been the face of Jesus Christ mm. uh, to come. Uh, and what it was the greater that was going to come after him, one after Moses and, you know, et cetera, down the line. But uh, uh, instead the people put that veil uh, on their hearts and it says that even to this day, when they read that, um, there was a veil in that time when it was written, there was a veil upon their hearts that they would not allow God's word to permeate them. Uh, so it was something that they were doing out of love, but instead of it was the, what they did. We do the law because that's what pleases God. Right. Um, it's love. And service out of love, that's what pleases God. <laughs> yeah. Not just rote repetition or, you know, badgering other people to try and you know, live or do a certain thing and that you're better at doing it than them. That's not the point of it. But uh, that was something I would have also liked to have given them homework, but I forgot. So <laughs> well, they got <laughs> maybe they now got, they can look it up. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. If you if you listen all the way to the end of this deep dive, then yeah, you got some more homework from from Professor Jerry here. <laughs> I love it. I think it's great. Yeah. Well, hey man, it's a it's a pleasure to talk to you, and uh, we're so thankful for all that you do for our community, you and Robin both, and uh, just love love being around your family, brother. It's mutual. We're very thankful for this uh, church plant and the things that we get to do and avenues of service. And uh, uh, as a community, we're hopefully, you know, we're doing what our mission is and we're bringing people closer to Christ. And uh, that's what it's all about, loving one another and enjoying that and then reaching out to those outside of our circle of friends and church group to help bring them uh, to the glorious way of the gospel of Christ. Amen. Thank you. Thanks, brother. Welcome. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Jerry Weller. It's a lot of fun to sit down with him and talk to him about all of that. Just have a couple of thoughts here at the end. You know, there's always many more directions we can go, many more nerdy things to think about and different ways that the Bible fits together. But one of the things I think about, too, with this uh, moment on the mountain in Exodus 19 is the relationship between this moment, the moment on the mountain, uh, with various uh, moments in the New Testament. So one of them that people used to usually think about a lot is the Sermon on the Mount. Um, you know, Moses goes up to the mountain, he receives the law. Jesus very intentionally teaches from a mountain and gives a lot of the New Covenant stipulations. You know, it's about our heart. It's about the deeper things of life. And so I think that's a cool echo to bring up. Another one that's really interesting, uh, I found a couple articles online about this, is the relationship between this dramatic moment in Exodus 19 and Pentecost. So here are a couple of things that one article pointed out. 
that there was a time of preparation beforehand in Exodus 19. They, you know, they cleaned their clothes, they got ready, they prepared for a couple of days. And then there was a time of preparation before Pentecost. They were uh, in prayer together as the time of Pentecost approached. The other thing that you can talk about is the unity among the people gathered. In Exodus 19.2, it talks about great unity. In Acts 2.1, it talks about great unity. Another interesting connection between Exodus 19 and Pentecost is the striking visual and auditory manifestations of God's power. Obviously, we talked about that a lot on Sunday, and Jerry spoke at length about what a visible manifestation of God's presence looked like on the mountain and the volcano stuff and just the, the fire and the light and all the stuff going on, the thunder. And then you look at Acts 2, you've got cloven tongues like fire, you've got rushing mighty wind, you've got a lot going on in that as well. There's actually an interesting rabbinic discussion about the tongues of fire that, that it's pertinent at Pentecost to what we're talking about in Exodus 19. Just wanted to read from one of these articles. A study of the Jewish tradition surrounding God's appearance at Sinai reveals that there are actually more similarities between the two miracles than are initially apparent. One verse from the Sinai account that intrigued Jewish interpreters was Exodus 20:18, which in the King James states that all the people saw the thunderings and the lightnings. However, a literal translation of the Hebrew would say that all the people saw the voices and the flames. The wording of Exodus 20:18 raises two questions. One, how could people see voices? Two, how did more than one voice come from God? In answer to the first question, a tradition arose that God's words at Sinai were visible in the form of flames. Philo, the first century Jewish philosopher, describes the scene as follows. Then from the midst of the fire that streamed from heaven, there sounded forth to their utter amazement a voice, for the flame became articulate speech in the language familiar to the audience, and so clearly and distinctly were the words formed by it that they seemed to see them rather than hear them. A parallel rabbinic tradition recorded in the Babylonian Talmud answers the second question by saying that the flames of God's words divide into smaller sparks that traveled in all directions, proclaiming Torah in all the languages of the world. Two other scriptures were advanced in support of this scenario. One was Psalm 68:11, the Lord gave the word, great was the company of those that published it. According to this interpretation, the great company of Psalm 68:11 were the sparks that spread the word in many languages. The other was Jeremiah 23:29, which was seen as a reference to God's word splitting into smaller pieces. Is not my word like as a fire, saith the Lord, and like a hammer that breaketh the rock in places? A further tradition asserted that when God's word was announced in the languages of the world, Torah was being offered in some sense to all nations. However, only Israel was willing at that time to say, all that the Lord hath said we will do and be obedient, Exodus 24, 7. In light of these traditions, it is interesting to look again at Acts 2, where the disciples declared the wonderful works of God in the languages of the world, Acts 2, 4 through 11. At Sinai, God spoke to Israel and according to the tradition to all nations. At the temple in Jerusalem, God spoke through the disciples of Jesus to all nations. He was now empowering his people to fully carry out the plan and promise he had originally announced to Abraham in Genesis 12, 3. In thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. And again, this is an excerpt from an article online from graceandknowledge.faithweb.com. And I will post.
post a link to that article so that you can check it out. thought it was interesting, some of the connections that they were drawing between Exodus 19 and Pentecost. Well, that's all we have time for this week. I hope you enjoyed this deep dive. Have a great rest of your day. Thanks for joining us on this deep dive. I want to close by thanking Dave Tench for his musical contributions and Paula Ely for her help with design and editing. We'll catch you next time. Let's continue to follow Jesus together. Thank you.